little bit of joy and a little bit of humor and a little bit of faith and, and uh, let everybody get together well and, and have a good time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Broken road.
No kidding. Well, good morning. It is so good. Am I on? Can you guys hear me? Okay. It is so good to be back with everybody again. Uh, I have been stuck at home for the last three weeks. If, um, if you're new here or didn't know that, uh, my wife, we share everything. And so she shared quarantine with me. So, uh, but uh, it, was, it was funny because I thought, you know, J.D. Miner and I, we've had a couple conversations about like, man, like if you get quarantine, everybody has this great grand plan of I'm going to love it. I'm going to enjoy it. Like going to get all this stuff done. And I started quarantine uh, I think on a Thursday and that following Tuesday, Heather went back to work because she was able to, and I still had to stay home. And by that following Wednesday of being alone, I was like, this is dumb. I'm done with this. I'm ready to be gone. And I had like 14 more days to go. And it it was just like everything that I had planned went out the window. And it was like, I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to see people again. That was the worst part of quarantine was like, I want to see people and I can't see people like this is miserable. But so I sent JD a message and I was like, hey, remember when we talked about how long I would like be like, I'm loving this. I was like two days and I was done. So but uh, it, it was um, not fun. If I'll be honest with you, I did not like quarantine. Uh, A big part of it was I was not with other people. Uh, I'm a people person. I enjoy seeing people. I kind of find energy seeing other people. And the other part of it is I had a lot of time to think, which is not good because it was uninterrupted thinking. And so, and and I don't know if you've been like living under a rock or not, but two weeks ago on a Tuesday, we kind of had a big event happen where there was an election. And so like my mind just starts going south really quick. So that Tuesday I was able to, like Heather was working, so I was home alone and I'm watching. I mean, like I can tell you almost everything that has happened in politics because that's pretty much what I did was read up on politics. And so it was like, oh, look at this. And then it's like, oh, look at this. And like, just, oh my goodness, pray for America. (laughs) But not only pray for America, pray for the Christians because I don't know what's going to happen, but I think we're about to be tested. I think we're about to be seeing who we really are. Do we have faith in a political system that is giving us these freedoms to be able to gather here openly? Is that where our faith is or is our faith in the one true God? Because I'll be honest, Wednesday, Heather went back to work. It was my second day of being home alone and everything was going on in the political realm on that day. And it was the darkest day of quarantine was that Wednesday. As my mind is just running and I stayed up late watching uh, the election results and I woke up early thinking about the election results. And so lack of sleep is not a good thing for me. And I was already there. And then I just start thinking and I am spiraling into a dark, dark, dark place. Like, just super dark. And so, uh, Wednesday night, I'm walking our dog, and we're, I'm walking around our property, because I can't go anywhere, but we're, thankfully, we're blessed with some property that I'm able to walk around. And I start having this conversation with God. And it's like, God, I have no idea what's about to happen. And it's just like, God, I, you know, I, I say that I have, I, I say that I have faith in you. I trust that you are good, but God, let's just be real. I don't trust you. I don't trust that you will really be there for me, God. Because again, remember, my mind is like 
the darkest place that I think it could go in trusting God. And I'm like, God, let, uh, like just honest conversation. God, I don't trust you. I think I have eternal life in you. I totally trust you with my salvation, God. Like if I die, I believe I have eternal life. But I don't trust that I will make it through whatever you might have planned. I don't trust that you will be there for me through whatever happens. Because God, I've got comfortable in this North American, United States freedom of religion world where that is what it means to be a Christian. And what happens if that gets taken away? What happens if they start saying, you're not allowed to say certain things from a pulpit? God, what am I going to do then? What happens if they start, like again, darkest places in my mind, start rounding up Christians and putting them in specific locations because we are a threat. And then they start malnourishing us. And then they start marking us. And then, you know, read Revelation. It's a scary time. And I have revealed before that the end of the Bible does not encourage me, but it scares me like crazy. Because I don't like what I see. And I pray to God that he comes before all of that happens and takes me home. But do I even trust God in that? And so God and I had this real conversation. I mean, it was probably the most real I've got with God in a long time. Of, are you going to be there for me, God? Do I trust you? Am I going to have faith regardless of what you call me to? Your word says it. But am I going to respond in that? And so that's where we're going to pick up this morning. Because before I left, we were going through this series of through the Bible in which we've been working our way through Genesis. So we saw the creation. We saw the fall of man. We saw the flood because God hates sin and the world was just so um, polluted with sin that God wiped out every living thing except for eight human beings and two of each kind of animal. And then we saw that God out of that called a man, Abram. And he called him and said, I'm going to send you out to a place that you don't know. Leave your father's family, leave your homeland and go to where I call you. And then Abram, he goes. And then Abram receives a promise from God saying, hey, your generation, your offspring, the generations to follow, your offspring is going to be who I use to bless the entire world. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give the land to your offspring. And through your offspring, the whole nation will be blessed. God promised Abraham that, or Abram, and then he comes to be called Abraham. And so we're in Genesis chapter 22 as we continue on with this story because we see before this that God comes again to Abraham and says, hey, because Abraham took some matters into his own hands. So he had a son with Hagar named Ishmael because Sarah was barren. And so he said, all right, I'm not getting the promise through Sarah. So I'm going to have a son through her maidservant, Hagar, and his name is Ishmael. And God says, that's not the son that is going to receive the promise. So here at 99 years old, Abraham has an encounter with God where God says, you're going to have a son. And Abraham's like, ha, I'm 99 years old. And my wife is 90. She's not a spring chicken. Neither am I. So, all right. And God says, no, you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Isaac. And God fulfills that promise. And so just think about where Abraham is at in his life. 
He had to wait, and then God called him out into the world to the place where Abraham was supposed to go, a place where God was not going to reveal to him. God just said, go, and Abraham went. And then God said, through your offspring, I am going to make a great nation. And Abraham's like, God, I don't know if you've, re- if you've uh, realized this or not. I have no children. And God said, I'm, gonna, I'm faithful to my promise. And so then Abraham had to wait 13 years and still no offspring. So Abraham's like, all right, Sarah, this isn't working. So Sarah was like, well, take my maidservant and we'll, re- we'll have the promise through that. So they took matters into their own hands. And they had Ishmael. And God's like, that is not the heir of the promise. You're going to have a son through Sarah. And God promised that and Abraham had faith. So Isaac is finally born to Abraham. And it's like, yes, like God, you're faithful. Like God, you're revealing yourself to us. You are proving yourself true. And then we get to Genesis 22. This is roughly 14 years after the birth of Isaac. Isaac is 14 years old, roughly. And God is saying to Abraham, where is your level of faith now? Because Abraham is about to be faced with a question. How much does he trust God? How far is he going to follow God into obedience? And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to kind of hit parts of this, so we're not going to all stand. But if you would just please stand for a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our word a little more. So Father God, it is so good to be back in congregation with your people God, to just be here, hopefully to encourage one another. God, hopefully to bear one another's burdens. God, it is good to be in your presence as the body of Christ. And so I just pray that as we're here this morning, as we're opening up our hearts to hear what you have to say to us, God, speak to us. Use me to be your vessel to share what your word is. May it be your word spoken. And God, may we humble ourselves. God, may we have a true interaction with you this morning. Not a religious service, but a relationship grown today. God, we need you here and now. So I just pray, speak to us. And it is possible through the name of Jesus. And so we pray in that name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So Abraham, you know, just just put yourself in Abraham's position here. Look at the time that Abraham, (coughs) excuse me. I need to talk a lot on quarantine. (coughs) So we're going to be here a while, but uh, no. But just put yourself in Abraham's position. Here he is waiting 75 years, and then he's going to a place that he's being called, and then he has to wait 13 more years, and then he still doesn't have the promise that God gave him. So then he takes matters into his own hand. He has to wait more years, and then he has Isaac. And it's like Abraham's life has been measured in waiting, waiting for God to respond. God gave the promise, but Abraham has had to wait through it all. And now... We see that Abraham has Isaac. Isaac is 14 years old. Just think of that. Like, I cannot wait to be a father. 
I cannot wait to have children. And like all through my growing up years, that's what I envisioned. I mean, it's, it's like I can see like, man, I'm ready to be a dad. I'm ready. I, I look at other kid, fathers with their kids, like having them on their necks, like hanging around with them, influencing them. And it's like, man, I'm ready for that day. And so I can kind of see where Abraham is at. Like he's waited. I haven't waited 99 years, but I, I feel like I've waited quite a while. It's like, come on, God, but on God's timing. But it's just like, okay, he's waited a long time, and then he gets this son. Like, all right, the heir of the promise. Yes. 14 years, he's like, oh man, Isaac, God's got great plans for you. I am so excited to see the young man that you are going to become. And then one day, God comes to Abraham. And God speaks to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. And it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, here I am. And so think of everything that Abraham has encountered with God. God's come to him, said, I'm going to send you to a land and man, it's going to be great for you. It's like, all right, when God comes and has encounters with Abraham, it's good. It's exciting. New things are going to be happening. God came and said, you're going to have a son. All right, that's exciting. So now I, I can just put myself in Abraham's place where God would be coming again. And it's like, all right, here comes God. What's the great news this time? Like Abraham's going to be the heir of millions of dollars. Like Abraham's going to be so great or not Abraham. Isaac is going to be like this great thing. Like we're going to have the greatest father son duo in the history of mankind. God comes to Abraham. Ha <laughs> ha, you are my hero. Thank you. So God comes to Abraham though and says, Abraham, and he says, here I am. Then in verse two, God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And Abraham's like, yep, exactly. Go to the land of Moriah. Awesome. We get that land too. And then God says, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And Abraham's like, huh? Say what? Wait a minute. You want me to do what now? This son that you promised me, God, who is going to be the blessing to the world. You want me to now kill him? Wait a minute. Like, this is how I would be responding. Hold on just a second, God. You promised me a Isaac. You told me he was going to be the heir of everything. And God's like, do you trust me? Do you have faith in me? Because we've seen that Abraham has had faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 9, we're told, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. So what did he do? He went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise. So Abraham obeyed. Even when he was called to a place that he would not know, he had faith. Even if he's called to a land of the unknown, Abraham had faith. But now God is going to test Abraham. A little bit more. All right, you're faithful in that. Are you going to be faithful by offering your only son Isaac to, to me? Will you have faith even if it means sacrificing your only son whom you love? 
I mean, talk about a difficult position to be in. One where like, God has promised all this stuff and it's like, man, now it seems like God's going back on his promise. One that, this is a position that we all hope never to be in. I mean, none of us wants to be like, yep, I want my faith tested to that extreme where I offer my only son as a sacrifice. Like some of us, not us, but some of you parents are probably like, yeah, there's days I would gladly do that. But we would never honestly do that because we're good fathers. We're good parents. We love our children. No matter how much they drive you crazy, you love your children to the point that you would not be like, God, all right, let's do this. But God calls him to give his only son. And we see Abraham's response, which is probably different than a lot of our responses would be. Genesis 22 verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So what does Abraham do? Abraham has this encounter with God. God says, I want you to offer your son whom you love. And Abraham says, okay, I have faith in you, God. So early, he didn't delay. Early the next morning, he gets the wood for the burnt offering. He gets Isaac. He gets two men, young men to go with them so far. And he responds in obedience. He says, God, even if it means that I lose my only son, I have faith in you. I will be obedient to you. Hebrews eleven seventeen through 9 tells us, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. And so it wasn't like that mountain was right there. And so Abraham is like, all right, I got to act impulsively because if I don't like do this immediately, I might go back on it. He had to travel 50 miles. Can you imagine that conversation between him and Isaac? I mean, when things get awkward, I get quiet. When I'm about to sacrifice my only son, <laughs> it's going to be really quiet because I'm not going to know what to say. Like, I love you. But this is what's happening. I don't, I don't know what that conversation was like, but I know all 50 miles, every step, I'm like, all right, God, I, I don't know, God. God, are you here? Is it, maybe it was bad tacos I ate the night before. Was that really you that came and encountered me and told me to do this? Like, God, I need you to reveal yourself to me. Like the whole 50 miles, I would be having some intense conversations with God. Questioning, is this really you? But we see what Abraham did. He was faithful through all of that. He remained faithful. Genesis chapter 22, verse 6 through 8. It says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering. He laid it on his son Isaac. And he took his hand, the, in his hand the fire and the knife. And so the two of them went together. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, yeah, here I am, my son. So Isaac said, behold, I see the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham 
said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went, both of them. So here, I mean, can you imagine being asked that question? You know what's about to happen. Like, Isaac, it's you. You're the sacrifice because God called me to give you up. And so, Isaac, I love you more than my own life, but more than I love you, I love God. And I'm going to be faithful to him regardless of what happens. I mean, this is like Jerry Springer on steroids. But yet Abraham is faithful. And also notice the faith of Isaac as well. Trusting his God or his dad. Like, all right, I'm going to go. And Abraham keeps going. And then we see that they walk in obedience, not knowing what the result is going to be, all the way up to the point that Abraham was ready to be obedient. Verse 9, continuing on, it says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order. Notice that next word. And he bound Isaac. He, like, tied him up. He bound Isaac, his son, laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. There's no doubt Abraham has faith in God. All the way up to this, he is being totally obedient to the point he reaches out, grabs the knife, and has it all the way up in the air, ready to sacrifice. Because in Hebrews verse 17, it said, he offered up Isaac, whom he had received the promise, was in, he was in the act of offering up his only son. Like Abraham is fully prepared to answer in faith whatever God is asking. And again, I'm not a parent, but I can imagine this statement is true. I would rather give my own life up than give up my child, right? Pretty much every parent would believe that. I would rather myself die, myself be put in difficult situations than my children have to go through that. But yet Abraham is loving God that much. He is having that much faith. And let's not think that this is some special Bible story where it's like Abraham has this little halo around his head where he does everything and we can't relate to him. Abraham was a human being. Abraham was probably, I'm, I'm reading into this, but I imagine struggling, having doubts, having questions. He was responding in, in faith and obedience. But man, you got to know it wasn't easy. It's not like Abraham, like all the cartoons uh, had it in VeggieTales, you know, like, all right. And they're like whistling as they go along. And then he's like, all right, lay down. And this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you, Isaac. All right, here we go. Like, I imagine like it was so suspenseful, but yet Abraham is obedient. And we see Abraham is faithful, even if it means sacrificing his only son. So now let's look at this in today's story. Let's look at it in our own lives. What is your even if? Because God desires for us to trust him. That's what God wants. For us to say, you are God. What you say goes. That's what it means to call him Lord, Master, 
King of kings, Lord of lords, God, you are the one that calls the shots. So that is what God desires for us to say, you are God regardless of what it costs me. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me and be my, be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after him. He wants to be number one in our life. Number one. So what is our blank? Even if blank, I'm still going to have faith in you, God. Even if I am called to leave my family and move to a land that is unknown to me, God. I'm going to have faith in you. Even if I have to take a pay cut, if I have to quit my job, if I have to leave financial security to follow you in obedience, I'm going to have faith and I will follow after you. Even if I never get better, even if I constantly struggle with this ailment, this sickness, even if it means that I never have my health again, I'm going to be faithful to you, God. Even if it means I never achieve my dreams, even if it means I lose my loved one instead of them getting better, they pass away. Even if I lose my freedoms, even if I lose my life, I'm going to have faith, God. What is your blank? Where it says, God, whatever it is that you call me to, I'm going to have faith. Maybe a bigger question would be, what is not in your blank? What is that one thing that you're saying, nope, not there. Only if that blank happens, I'm not going to follow you. Like even, even, even if, or I'm, I don't know how to word it, but it's like, God, if this happens, no, not happening. If I have to move away, if I have to take a pay cut, if I have to give up my comforts, if I have to give up my freedoms, if I have to give up this American dream, whatever it is, God, if that happens, we're done. I'm not following you there. What is your blank in that area? What is the level of faith that you have? When I walked with God and I was praying with God, I realized there were blanks or there were words that I could put in that blank that were very difficult for me to answer honestly. Where it's like, God, even if my darkest fears come true, am I going to have faith in you? Like, God, even if this never happens, am I still going to trust you? Or even if all of what I know comes crumbling down and you are everything I have to hold on to, will I still call you good? Will I still say that you are faithful? Will I still say that you are deserving of everything that I have? Or am I going to say, well, it must have been a sham because this religious freedom and this American dream and all this stuff fell apart and I realized my faith was in a political system over the one true living God. And one is going to fail you. It's a matter of time. Maybe we've got 20 more years. Maybe we've got three more months. Maybe we've got 50 more years. But eventually, one is going to fail you. And it's not God. God will never fail you. 
I mean, just look at these other biblical examples. Like we, we look at Abraham and it's like, all right, sweet. God came through for him. Like, yeah, that's good for Abraham because uh, if you would read the rest of that story, then you would see that God actually sent a ram to take the place of Isaac. So uh, Isaac did grow up. And it's like, yeah, that's easy for him to do that, which means we don't understand that story. But look at these other examples. Job chapter 13, verse 15. Job says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. So Job, if you don't know the story of Job, Job had all these inflictions on him. Job lost his family, except for his wife. Job lost his financial income. Job lost his health. And so Job is to the point where he is laying in ashes, trying to scrape off the boils from his body in total torment. And Job is saying, though all of this comes on, even if I lose it all, I'm keeping my hope in God. Job answered that question. Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. That's the highlight of Lamentations because all before that, Lamentations is a funeral song. Lamentations means to lament. Jeremiah is pouring out his heart before God because he is seeing his countrymen being taken away into captivity. He is seeing his fellow sisters being raped by their captors. He is seeing his brothers being cast into slavery and murdered. He's seeing his children becoming slaves. He is seeing his world as he knows it get rocked. And he is still able to say, great is your faithfulness. So Jeremiah would say, even if I lose all my freedoms, even if our country is overrun and we are thrown into captivity, great is God's faithfulness. We will hope in him. In Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, They were told to bow down to the idol. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. And so then King Nebuchadnezzar says, anybody who does not bow down to the idol, we're throwing in the fiery furnace. And they said, fine, do it. And I love in verse 17 of Daniel chapter 3, their response. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, because King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, bow down or I'm throwing you in the fire and we're heating it up so many more times that the guys that are going to like throw wood in there or whatever they did to burn it, they drop dead. That's how hot this fire is. And so they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, the, our God, whom we serve, he is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. Notice he, they don't say, he will deliver us out of the fiery furnace. They say, no matter what, we win. He will deliver us from your hand, be it out of the furnace or out of the furnace and into eternal glory. But they say he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So their answer was even if it costs us our life, we're not going to lose the faith. 
We will maintain faith in you. In Acts chapter 9, Peter and John are preaching about Jesus in the synagogue. And so then they get arrested and they get beat and they get told, do not uh, speak in this name anymore. And it's Acts chapter 4 verse 19. They respond, decide for yourselves whether it is right for us to speak in this name or not. But we can't help speaking about what we have seen. So even if it costs us our freedoms, even if you beat us and throw us in prison and ostracize us and isolate us, we are going to be faithful to God. That's what their even ifs were. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, if you continue on through all of Hebrews and you get to the end of chapter 11, because again, you look at these stories and it's like, well, good for them. They all came out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came out unscathed. Job, he went through a little difficult time. He came out and he was rewarded all the more. But what about when there is no reward on this side of earth or this side of heaven? What about when the reward is life in prison? What about when the reward is death? What about when you don't come out in the worldly view on top? Are you still going to have the faith? Because at the end of Hebrews chapter 11, it said time would, like, we don't have time to talk about all these people. And then it goes on to say that they were persecuted. They were sawn in half. They were thrown to the animals. They were in prison. They had to run around hiding in caves. They lost everything, but yet they kept the faith. That's what their answers were. No matter what, God, even if fill in the blank, we're trusting in you because you are faithful. But the question might be, and this is something that I kind of, in that conversation with God, kind of had to wrestle with. Okay, God, how do I get there? Like, how does that happen? God, I'm going to live in my comforts. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to live this American dream. And then one day it's like the magical powers are going to come upon me and I will have faith that says you can take my life, but you'll never take my freedom. William Wallace reference there. But, uh, you know, like, do we come to that point just like that? Kind of like a lot of people think like, um, or, sorry, teenagers and all that. But it's like, you know, at some point I'll be ready for marriage. It's not going to come if you don't prepare for it. The way that you're acting now is how you're going to act as an adult. Look at America. That's why we have so many people the way they are, because they have not grown up, because there were not steps in place to be prepared for adulthood. We set steps in place to prepare us for those times. And you know what those steps are? Being faithful in the little things. Walking in faith now. God, you're calling me to this little step of faith? Boy, that's a big step. I'm doing it. Because I know that that step leads to another step, and I will follow you in obedience. Just look in Daniel chapter 6. In verse 10, we see that Daniel was now told that they can't pray to the one true God. And if they do, they're going to get thrown into the lion's den. So what does Daniel do? He's been preparing for this his entire life. Verse 10, Daniel, he knew the document had been signed that says if you pray to anybody else other than uh, the king at that time, you're going into the, uh, the lion's den. 
So when he knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Next following words are important. As he had done previously. He prepared himself for that. He was like, this is my natural life. I'm going to keep doing this. Throw me into the lion's den. This is what I have prepared for, to be faithful to God in the little things. I mean, if you've ever played sports, I know we've got basketball season and wrestling going on right now, but if you've ever played sports, they don't just say, all right, our first game is January 10th. I'll see y'all there. We're not going to practice. We're not going to work on the fundamentals. We're not going to prepare for this. We're just going to meet there. We'll have a game plan figured out because it's all going to come naturally to you and go. It doesn't work that way. Instead, you practice. You are faithful in the little things. You walk with God. Now, the great thing is, is that we're not walking in our own strength. It's not like, hey, I'm going to like do this and then I'll get stronger and I'll get better and I'll be able to get through it. Your dependence on God will grow all the more. You'll realize that, God, I need you in the little things and I need you in the big things because you are the one that I need. So this is what we must do to fill in the blank. Even if whatever you call me to do, God, I will have faith by practicing the little things, by walking in faith on a daily basis. Let me be honest to you. If this Sunday morning is all you have and there is nothing outside of this, you are missing out on so much. If you are not walking with God through the week, then you're only going to plateau in your faith. You have to have that daily dependence on him. This should be the topping on the cake. This should not be what you are expecting to live your walk of faith through. This is like the time you go out to eat, but there are so many more meals at home that you must be partaking in. Don't just rely on, well, Andy said something today. All right, I'll apply it when it gets there. But you walk in faith daily. And so how do we walk in faith though? Again, how do we do these little steps of walking in obedience? First off, we remind ourselves daily who God is. Constantly wake up, God, you are faithful. You are worthy of following. Psalm 121, verse 1 through 2. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So I'm going to remind myself today, my help comes from God. We pray for faith. Did you pray for faith today? Did you pray, all right, God, I need to trust you more? I mean, again, in whatever century we are in, America, we really don't walk in that much faith where it's like, all right, God, today I need you. When we don't see anything happening, we wait until those hard moments happen. And then it's like, oh, now I need faith. But we pray daily for faith. Second Kings six fifteen through 17, I love this story. Because Elisha and his servant are surrounded. And so the servant, in verse 15, it says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? 
Elisha said, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I believe Elisha knew that because he constantly walked in faith. He constantly prayed in faith. And so he said, or he prayed, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. God, give him more faith. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and the young man saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Like, he prayed for that faith. So, like I said, I've been on quarantine for a while, so we might go a little long today, but I'm loving being here with y'all and talking about God. But so when I was on quarantine and I was having that talk with God and we were going through that moment, this verse is the one that he brought to my mind. Because as I'm walking around and I'm like, God, I, like, I don't know, like first they're going to take our freedom, they're going to tell us to shut down, and then I'm not going to want to shut down, so I'm going to still be here, and then they're going to come through the doors, they're going to haul me away, they're not going to feed me, they're going to torture me, they're going to end up killing me. God, am I going to have faith in you through all of that? Like that is the, the, the spiral down that I went. And God was like, hey, do you remember 2 Kings chapter 6? When the servant was just like that? When he looked around and was like, oh, we are in trouble. Like, God, they're going to capture us. They're going to kill us. I don't know what they're going to do. Like, killing us would be the best of it. It's the process that they kill us that's going to be really miserable. And so, like, oh, man, that servant was scared. And you have Elijah who's like, dude, you don't see your God working around you. You're looking at the difficulties and not seeing God who is so much greater than the difficulties. And so that passage right there was where I kind of started like picking up my step a little bit. And it's like, all right, God, this step is in faith. This step is in faith. God, just let me see how good and faithful you are. But we have to remind ourselves who God is. We have to pray for faith. And we have to, like we said in Daniel 6.10, practice faith in the little things. In the daily mundane things, we stay faithful to God. We remind ourselves that even death cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 39, verse 38 and 39. Paul says, I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to remind ourselves of that. That death will not separate me from the love of God. That whoever is in our presidency cannot separate me from the love of God. Prison cannot separate me. Which means that wherever we are, whatever we're going through, God is there with us. That he is faithful. And then we remind ourselves, even if they kill us, we're victorious. Death is actually a winning symbol for Christians. It's like, all right, now I've won. Like you might think you won by killing me. No, I won. Because I now get to rise with Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Lost my place. The death, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So through death, we're victorious. Through life, we're victorious. Paul said it. So whether I live or die, I win. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Do we walk around with that mindset? 
Or do we walk around with, I got to keep living. I got to improve this life. I got to, like, man, I'd love to live to be 120. I'd love to make it to 130. Like, are we holding too closely to this life and not close enough to the eternal life that we have in Jesus? Are we doing that? Because honestly, I was. In all honesty, I was like, God, this life is it. And at some point I'll make it to heaven. But let's make that be after an abundant, joyful life here on earth, which is the wrong viewpoint. Those are blessings from God, but that's not what we hold on to. We hold on to God above everything. And so the question might be, okay, Andy, you're saying God is faithful. Andy, you're saying there's victory through death. You're saying that I need to do all this, but how can I know? Like, it's cool. Like, how do I wrap my mind around it? How do I really start grasping a hold of those things? How can I know God is truly faithful? How can I, like, how can that become true to me? How did Abraham know God was faithful? How did Abraham know, or other way around, vice versa. How did God know Abraham was faithful to God? He was willing to give his only son. Where God said, Abraham, I'm going to test your faith to see if you're faithful to me. So I want you to give up your one and only son. And Abraham did that. And God knew that Abraham was faithful. It says that in Genesis chapter 22, verse 12, God says, Now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Do you see the symbolism there? How do we know God is faithful? We grab a hold of the gospel tighter than we have ever held on to it before. The fact that God did not spare his only begotten son. That he was faithful. He said, I will give you my son, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. We can know that God is faithful because he gave us Jesus. But not just the fact that Jesus died. But you're not going to find the body of Jesus anywhere. Because he has been raised from the dead. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God did not hold back his only son, but he said, I'm going to offer him to you so that you can be in relationship with me, so that you can know that I love you, so that you can know that as Romans 8.28 says, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, so that we can know those things. And so again, not only did God offer up his son as the sacrifice that we were supposed to pay, that, that sacrifice wasn't because Jesus was guilty, it's because we were guilty, but Jesus took our guilt on himself. But also, God accepted it by raising him from the dead. 
1 Corinthians 15, 20. In fact, God, or Christ, has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we too have a hope, and that is how we can know. Because right before verse 20, it said, if Jesus is still in the tomb, this gathering is to be pitied more than any other people. Because we are holding on to a lie and we are holding on to a hope that is not there. And the Bible says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But God is faithful. And he rose, raised Jesus from the dead. And so therefore, God will always be faithful. God has an eternal future for those who receive him. So you can know that whatever you're going through, the difficulties that you're going through, if you're trying to do it on your own, good luck. It's gonna fall apart. But if you rely on God, I'm not saying that everything's gonna be like your wildest dreams, but what I am saying is that God is faithful. And he will always be faithful we are saved through this faith. Ephesians 2, 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So we place our faith in God. God, I believe that you have saved me from an eternal hell, but also, God, I believe that you have saved me for today. Not like I have to wait for eternity to come. Not like I have to wait to receive the blessing and the benefit of it. But God, you are here now helping me out. And so you can leave here with a hope that goes beyond the grave to where you can like so many people who joyfully even gave their life for Jesus. You can leave like that when you know where your faith is. It's not in your own abilities because that's going to lead to fear. It's not in your government because that's going to lead to disappointment. It's not in the economy. It's not in your job. It's not in your family, but in Jesus. The only one who has always and will always be faithful because he gave his life for us. So now we don't have to fear death. Paul said it, Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That should be our viewpoint. Every day we wake up. All right, God, I'm alive. All right, I'm alive. It's for you. This day that I live is for you. If I die, it's for you, and I'm victorious. Paul knew what it was like to be in every situation, and he said, no matter what you are going through, this is the key to it all. He said in Philippians 4, 12 through 13, he says, I know. I know what it's like, like to be brought low. I know how to, be, how to be in abundance. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can go through persecution as long as you're going through it with Christ. You can go through broken relationships as long as you're going through it with Christ. You can go through hunger. You can go through being on the mountaintop. You can go through it all if you have Christ 
holding on to him more than anything. But so often we want to say, even if things work out, I'll have faith. And then things don't work out. And we're like, all right, I'm going to let go of Christ and I'm going to hold on to anything over here that I can. And it's like grabbing a hold of water. It comes up empty. It's just like, I got nothing, nothing. But when we hold on to Christ, we have a firm and solid foundation to hold on to. Are you holding on to Christ? Is he the one that you are clinging to? That says, even if you can take everything from me, I'm having faith because Jesus is everything to me. Anything else, that's just frosting on the cake. That's just, that's, yeah, that's a blessing from God, but it is not what I hold on to. I'm holding on to Jesus. If not, today is the day to start. And there are men and women in this room who would love to join you. They better love to. Who would love to join you in a journey of faith. That's what we're called to do. That is honestly the second biggest thing that I hated about isolation. Is that I was not able to be there with fellow believers and spur one another on like we are told to. To encourage one another. Because again, I went down some dark rabbit holes. And there were times where, I mean, thank you to you who reached out and messaged me and asked how I was doing. I became pretty good at lying at times. Oh, I'm doing great. They can't see my face. It wasn't so great. I struggled. I actually fell multiple times. But it was when I grasped who Christ was through that conversation that it was like, all right, um, God, we're going to get through this. If you're doing life alone, you are missing out on so much. We're called to be in community with one another, to spur one another on, to encourage. We're told in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, do not forsake the assembly. And honestly, I'll be, I'm I'm just going to be blunt with you. I don't think this is the only assembly that you should be not forsaking. I think there are assemblies throughout the week where you, and I'm not talking just Wednesday night or Sunday night. I'm talking where you get together with fellow believers and you get serious about life with them. Because we are told to encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. It's drawing near. I don't know when, but it is right around the corner. That corner could be a hundred years from now still, but it is drawing near. We need to encourage each other. And I'm just going to be honest again. I don't know what the future holds for our country. I mean, whether you're Republican or Democrat, whether you're glad with who's in the office or you're not happy about who's in the office, that's not going to help our country. Just look at the division that we have. We need to encourage one another. We need to be there for one another. There's going to come a day where this might become illegal. Are you going to stay at home? Be like, well, I can't worship God. Nothing really changed. I got my Sunday mornings free. Woohoo! Or are you going to be like, hey, no, 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 no. Jesus is everything. Stand firm in the faith. We need that. If you don't have that, I encourage you to come forward this morning and say, hey, I'm going through this life alone. I need somebody to go through it with me. And then we got a group of people who better, so I'm talking to you, church, you better be ready to be obedient to God and to walk through this life with other people. 
So if you have a decision to make, if you have no faith in Christ whatsoever, he's saying, I am worthy of you placing your faith in me. So come forward and place your faith in him. If you have like that experience where you're like, we've been going through this alone and we need community, come forward and we will do our absolute best to try and get you connected with people to spur you on, to walk through life with you. If you need prayer, this church is phenomenal at praying. And we have seen the results of prayer through God working through the people here and them praying. So I say come forward. If you have anything, please don't hesitate. Take that step of faith. And then the next step of faith. Even if it means you have to make a fool of yourself by walking forward and revealing, I have not been doing this Jesus thing right. I have not been walking with him, even though everybody in this room thought I was. Even if it means embarrassing yourself like that, come forward. Walk in that faith, because it's not going to be an embarrassment. It's going to be a, so glad you were honest. So glad we now get to walk with you through that. Whatever God is placing on your heart, please, please respond. Father God, you are so good. And God,